Romans 8. Um, Romans is a pretty deep book at times. And the verses we're going to read tonight are uh, probably the most encouraging parts of, of the book. Um, we stopped last time we met in verse number 11. And we talked about the idea of walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Um, verse 9 says, you are not of the flesh but in the spirit. Indeed, the spirit dwells in you. So in verse 12, it, it gives the therefore, which is now that you know that you have the spirit in the flesh and you've got to be careful where you're walking. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. So this idea is, therefore, now that you understand that the Spirit dwells within you, that we have to become debtors not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. And so this goes back to those verses about you know, whom you're going to... Larry, man, what a Sunday school class today, talking about not serving two masters. And he read some verses about, you know, whom are you going to present yourself a sacrifice to? Who are you going to serve? Uh, the Bible says to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Uh, that's Romans 12.1. So we become basically, oh, don't we owe God everything? We should be indebted to him. You know, and, and we had our little council time tonight, and there was a young man, and boy, every question he had you could tell someone's in his ear well how do we know the bible's true why doesn't god help us then why doesn't he do something for us and why isn't and it's all of the things we talked about this morning with the poisoning of that poor young man's mind as he goes to his public school all week long and and here's opposite of what he's taught in awana i'm t the, the work you guys are doing in this in this uh, ministry is so important um Turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you don't mind. Um, Philippians 2 is uh, just a little bit of a follow-up on this idea of being indebted to God because of all he's done for us. I like these verses. Uh, they remind me to be thankful and, and obedient. It says, therefore, this is Philippians 2 verse 1. If there's any consolation, and that consolation, uh, that, uh, that's what it says in New King James. It might be a different word than others, but it's, it's basically a, if God's ever comforted you. If there's any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection in mercy. So verse 1 starts with if verses. So as you read those verses, you have to ask yourself the question. Have you received any of these things in verse 1 from God? And if you're honest, I think you would say you've received all these things from God. I have received consolation, forgiveness. I have received comfort, fellowship. Uh, I have certainly received mercy and affection. Well, then what's the first three words of verse 2? 
fulfill my joy. So that this is a, a, a debtor verse in a way. God, as Paul is writing, he's saying, if God has ever done anything for you, this is how you can make God happy. Be like-minded of the same love. Be of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind esteem others better than yourself. Let each of you look not only on your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you. That was also in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to talk about how Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but yet made himself a sacrifice and died on the cross for us. And, and that is our ultimate kind of uh, purpose for our indebtedness to Christ. We have everything. He gave his breath. He gave his life. But more than everything, he gave us salvation. And God simply wants us in Romans 8 now to live for him, not according to our flesh, but according to his spirit, to be separate unto God. Uh, back in Romans 8, verse 14. This would be a, a better, these next verses would be better for a, 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 a different crowd. These are things you already know, but these will actually hopefully comfort you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When you are truly in the Spirit of God, when you truly are born again and the Holy Spirit indwells you, more than the charismatic type of, of spiritual experience. It's the experience of knowing that you're saved, knowing that God loves you. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that God is our Abba Father, and that we are, verse 17, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the greatest witness of your salvation is inside of you. That's how you really know. First John 5.13, These things I have written unto you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I know that when I die, I'll be in heaven. I know the Bible is true. I know that God has forgiven me. I know that God loves me. I know these things. And the witness is the Spirit. One of the questions by the young man today was how do we know the Bible's not lying? And that's a young man that will have that question answered because it's an, a question that's answered with these verses. The Spirit will bear witness. And once you know that, once you have that, that, that inner relationship with God and you are changed and not uh, the same person, then you, you'll never shake it because you just know it. I'm different. There's something about you that's different. And that's the Holy Spirit that makes that difference in you. So verse 17 talks about this future, this knowledge that we are going to be, th this verse, I don't even 
completely understand that how God could call us joint heirs with Christ, how he sees us in that way, that's quite amazing that he sees us as his children jointly with his own begotten son, Jesus. What a relationship. All about the adoption. I can say that because I'm adopted, so I get it a lot easier. I was, I, I did a lesson years ago. I don't know if it was a great lesson because I don't really have the background to, to teach it. But I, I, there, there's quite a difference between being a foster kid and being adopted. And one of the things that that I observed, and when I was talking to somebody about who has adopted. And they were explaining to me the main difference of the fact that if I have a foster kid, it benefits me. Government pays me to take care of that child. And they're not part of our inheritance. They're not part of our, they don't get my name. And if something happens and I, it's getting too hard, I can exchange it for another foster kid. But then the family comes and says, no, we, we want you to be our son or our daughter. Now, you take on all the responsibility for that child. And they now become part of the inheritance of all your other children. And so now, the adoption costs you. And it just was a beautiful picture of, of what you're saying, that we are not God's foster kids. We have been adopted. We have his name. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's the same idea. It is the same idea. God picked us. Yeah. Which is why that that phrase Abba Father is important because it, it it's a that word Abba and Father together it's a, it's a very personal close it, it, some people I don't like to do this but some people will they'll um, translate it to daddy but it's just the idea of a little kid and, and their daddy and uh, ah beautiful thank you for sharing that Carol that's so good. Um, so here's the problem. The problem is we are filled with the Spirit, joint heirs with Christ, looking for that time when we're going to be with our Heavenly Father. But until then, we are walking through this world. And I consider, verse 18, that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's a refrigerator verse. That no matter what this world throws at you, it's all worth it. Just walk with Christ. Just preach the word and just follow him, obey him. And no matter what suffering it may cause us in this present time, hey, we're not going to get to heaven and say, really, I went to church every week and this is all I get? You call that a mansion? That's it? No, it's going to be there and... and I, I, I picture myself being almost guilt-ridden with how great it's going to be. Like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve It's going to be better. Liz and I went to a uh, showing this last week. They had a special showing of a documentary called A Case for Heaven. And it was by the man who wrote Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. And a documentary on proving the case for heaven. And it didn't do a very good job of it because you can't do it you just can't do it and they tried to uh but it just it fell flat to me uh all i know is when we get there nothing compares to it nothing it's incredible so what do we do till then
well. The earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So all of creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the glorious liberty of the children of God. There'll come a time not only when we, remember there's going to be a new heaven and a new what? Earth. This earth is under this curse. And this curse of this earth is also uh, not only uh, visible in the sin of mankind, but it's also visible in the dust of the ground. It's visible in the, the dying of trees. It's visible in creation groaning. Look at verse 22. We know that whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Because remember, one of the consequences of Adam's sin was he had to till the ground. And the ground was alive. It was vibrant in the garden. And there was a mist upon this earth, a firmament, in which uh, there was plenty to eat. It didn't need to rain. Remember, it didn't rain till Noah. It didn't need to rain because the earth was living under the vibrancy of God's holiness. But when he ate the fruit, not only was there a curse upon mankind, but there became a curse upon all of creation. And creation groans and labors for the return of Jesus, for it to be renewed. Not only that, but also we have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. Do you ever groan and ache to be delivered to Jesus, <laughs> to be delivered to heaven, to be taken up, to go home? It's a hard thing for us as Christians because, you know, Paul explained it better than anybody when he talked about, you know, it's, it's to die is gain, but to live is Christ. Death is, is going to be glorious. It's just going to be glorious. Verse 24 says, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What are we eagerly waiting for? The return of Christ. Even so, Lord, come quickly. That's how the Bible ends, and you know that? It ends with the, the desire for him to come back. But until now, there's going to be some suffering. But it can't even compare with what's coming. And because of that, sometimes our spirit groans to be away from sin, away from this body, away from the, the wickedness of the world. Verse 25, but if we hope in what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it. Here's what, uh, go ahead and turn to Titus 2, 11. Titus 2, 11. I like these verses because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they were the first verses I memorized when I was, Liz and I, when we were just work, starting to work in Awana, Awana used to have these little memory card packets. We still have them at home. And they're, they just have a bunch of, uh, they're little pocket packets you keep in your pocket. 
and there are just verses all through them on both sides. And so you just take a card, and there was a man who came and trained us how to memorize verses, and there was a system. You'd read a verse 25 times, and you'd put it back in your thing, and then next day you'd read that verse 20 times, and the next verse 25 times, and you just went through this pattern. And uh, this was the first verse that was in the packet. And it says, For the grace of God, Titus 2.11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So that's living presently. Verse 13, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the hope that we are looking for is identified here clearly as Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So we live this life fighting against the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, walking in the spirit, not in the flesh, and eagerly anticipating and looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And until he returns, we are zealous for the good works. And that's what we're trying to accomplish, whether the good works is uh, listening to kids say verses or putting shoeboxes together or handing food out on a Saturday or baking pan uh, making pancakes, whatever it might be, we are zealous to serve God or sending a text to somebody. That's what we're doing. We're just pushing through, eagerly awaiting for the return of Christ. Let's go back to Romans 8. So as we go through this world of suffering at times, eagerly waiting for the return of Christ, understanding that we are joint heirs and things are going to get great, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. So God is not leaving us on our own. The Holy Spirit is a tremendous gift. It's our helpmate, the Bible says. I'll send you a helper. He says, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Who makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that an incredible verse? We don't know how to pray because we don't really know what the Lord's will is. You know, Carol, you said something tonight that was very interesting when you said that it's nice when God answers prayers exactly how you ask Him because it doesn't always happen. But the prayers are always answered according to His will. But sometimes His will is not our desires. Even Jesus Himself said, Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from my hand. But we would be in trouble if God answered that prayer the way Jesus had asked him. But Jesus followed that prayer with what? Not my will be done, but yours. Uh, Liz and I have been, I don't know why we started this, but we, we've been, uh, while we were hiking, we've been, quoting Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer as we're walking through, uh, mostly to distract me from the 
utter <laughs> exhaustion of the hike. But so, and just that part, you know, thy, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And <laughs> sorry, a dog just ran into my the office back there. It's a white and orange dog. I don't know. It's probably the one they're putting that fence. It's probably next door. That's all right. First, I can just say we had someone come down the aisle today at church. That's good. Um, so it's beautiful that we can go to God knowing that the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. He knows what's best for us. He knows when he can say to God, no, I know this is what John's asking for, but we both know what John needs. And that is comforting. And we have to be so blessed that we have that. Because of that, verse 28 kicks into to view. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and were called according to his purpose. Well, why? Because if you're praying for the will of God to be done, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's going to come up roses. There's going to be trials, tragedies, car accidents, MRIs. There's going to be all kinds of challenges in life. But you know what? When it's all said and done, we're still joint heirs with Christ. I think it's going to work out pretty good for us. It's going to work out just fine. And then these verses, these next few verses, we're going to um, take them as they're written. They're, they're not controversial, but they are uh, skipped over often when people are preaching because they have uh, catchwords in them that, that lead to debates. But let's just walk through it exactly how it's written. The reason why things work together for good is because God knows everything. For whom he foreknew. So what's it mean to foreknow something? Knew you before you were created. God knows everything. <coughs> Nothing surprises him. That's why Romans 5.8 is so great. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. I have a, I have a little bit of an issue. The, the issue that I have is sometimes when I fail God, I feel like he's disappointed and surprised and let down. But I have to remind myself that when he died for me on the cross, he saw that sin coming a mile away. He saw it. When, when God, when I feel completely loved by God, it was with his foreknowledge of all the mistakes I was going to make. So comforting. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. What does it mean to predestine? Well, what is it, what's your destiny? Your destiny is your journey. Your destiny is already predetermined. He knows you, and he has predetermined that you would be conformed to the image of his son. So what's your destiny? It's already in place. You are going to be like Jesus. That's how it all ends. That's your destiny. That's your ring that you throw into Mordor. That's your end journey. It is to be like Christ. That's it. It's, it's a guarantee. He foreknew, whom he foreknew, who he predestined. And your destiny is to be conformed to the image of God, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Somebody asked me the other day or, or a few weeks ago this question I get a lot, which is, you know, what about that poor Muslim kid who never hears about Jesus? Is it fair for that person to go to hell? Well, according to these verses, the all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe if he knows and he's already predetermined that this person is going to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, that person will never die without hearing the gospel and responding to it. Nobody slips through the cracks. It's not like Jesus says, I think tomorrow at 2, I will bring this person to salvation. And then they get hit by a bus and Jesus goes, oh man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have waited. No, the, what these verses are about is the sovereignty. And you can go deeper and deeper into it about how God is orchestrating everything. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he also justified. So Easter Sunday, 1979, the call of God came to, to me. And when... God gave me that gift of faith that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 talks about, I was immediately justified. Immediately. Sins were washed away, blotted out, as far as the east is from the west. And whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's where it ends. You see? Predetermined, foreknew before the foundations of the world. And those who God knows predestines to be called the image of God he, may, he finds them, he calls them he goes and leaves the 99, he finds the sheep, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and once they follow that voice, they are justified, heading to the ultimate destiny to be just like Jesus glorified in his body, new body beautiful verses, very complicated but it's just beautiful the very simple way to say it is Jesus does it all, all to him I owe what then? Verse 31. Shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? So if the Holy Spirit's making intercession for you, if God has already foreknew you and determined your destiny to be like God, and, and, and that's the, the, the glorification that's coming, and if he's for you, then who's going to come against you? What's the answer to that question? Nobody. Nobody. In fact, the Bible says that Satan accuses us all day long. I love verse 32 and 33. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And that young man said in Count's time, he says, well, if God loves us, why doesn't he help us? Why doesn't he do something for us? Well, we had the gospel verses on the wall. What more do you want him to do? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not spare his own son. That's how far he went. I think he can probably help you pay your electric bill. I think he can probably help you get through your final exam at college. I think he can probably help you find a wife or a husband or, or whatever you're looking for. He already paid the ultimate sacrifice. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Oh, what a verse that is. So God says here, 
This is my adopted son, Charlie. Charlie has had his sins blotted out. And Satan comes and says, oh no, Charlie deserves to be in hell. And Jesus says, no, look it. I'm the one who justified him. You can't bring a charge against Charlie. I've already, I've already determined that he is sinless in my eyes. When I see him, I see my son adopted. Well, you got to give him back. He's going to be a disappointment. I can't give him back. I've adopted him. Don't you understand? We have a legal contract that we, the Bible says, have an inheritance reserved in heaven for us, kept by the power of God. Think Satan could take that away? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen. There's Easter right there in verse 34. That was the final kind of signature of this contract between the believers and God. Our eternal security is secured in the fact that Jesus paid the price. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who's even at the right hand of God and make, also makes intercession for us. And you got the Holy Spirit making intercession for us back in verse 26. You got Jesus making intercession for us in verse 34. I think we're pretty well covered. I think someone has our back. This, this is something that um, I had a little bit of a, of a breakdown with in one of the hikes. I got, really got exhausted and I was emotionally drained. And I really had to lean on Liz to help me get kind of get through it. But part of it was um, issues of, of abandonment, issues of uh, my parents not talking to me ever. When I became a Christian, they disowned me and they didn't talk to me. And uh, we're, we're going through the same thing with uh, our oldest son. And uh, it is... Uh, and we were on this hike, and I got I got a little lost, and I uh, just felt I don't know at all overwhelmed. But guess what? Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit's making intercession for me. Jesus is at the right hand making intercession for us. I, I don't, it doesn't matter if the whole world abandons you. God will never do that. He'll never ever abandon you. In fact, look at verse thirty-five. We'll close with these verses. Who is going to separate us from the love of God? Love of Christ. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Jesus died for us. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's no comment that needs to be added to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, nothing nothing can stand if you're for us nothing can be against us if you deem us justified no accusation will stick if you freed us from sin nobody can condemn us and if you love us nothing can stop it 
God, we thank you for these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.